the jobs Barbie's had over the years, her most lucrative gig yet is now movie star. As the Barbie movie has just surpassed the billion dollar mark in worldwide box office sales. This widely popular feminist film, directed and co-written by filmmaker Greta Gerwig, is set to not just shape the future of films, but how we talk about gender and sexual equality. Today, Weird Barbie in real life, performance artist Holly Hughes joins us to take a look at the Barbie movie phenomenon and why young girls love horses so much. In the early 90s, Holly Hughes became widely known as part of the NEA4. When her solo theatrical work became a political target for conservatives and her funding was revoked by the federal government. Plus, Mattel releases its first product tie-in from the movie, The Weird Barbie Doll. Why America Ferreira's monologue from the film resonates so deeply. And warning, we have a few spoilers in this podcast, so please listen with caution. I'm Fausto Fernos. I'm Mark Fillion. And this is Feast of Fun. Hello. Hi. Come on, Holly. Let's go party. <laughs> it's a Holly How are world. you? I'm doing great. It's this is Fausto, by the way. And Mark here. Yes, I thought it was. Hi. Hi. We've been trying to get you for a long time to talk to you about your car's extended warranty. <laughs> <laughs> the Barbie Mobile. The Barbie Mobile. How, exactly. how are you? I haven't talked to you in ages, by the way. In ages, in yeah. ages. Um, um, you know, um, I any day that I the, the headline is voters in Ohio yes. rejects, you know, <laughs> authoritarian takeover, uh, and also like some legal action action against the like Cheeto president. Then I, it's a very good day. Mm-hmm. It's a very good around. day. Yeah, are you are you playing with your Melania Barbie doll? And <laughs> <laughs> you know she hasn't. I think there's. I think there's. Um, you know, it's a supply chain problem. I don't have my Melania Barbie doll right <laughs> at my China. disposal. Yeah, <laughs> China, China. You know, I've been really enjoying reading all your thoughts and ideas about the Barbie movie. And uh, this week, it became, you know, the largest grossing film directed by a woman in all of history. One billion dollars. <laughs> One billion dollars. And, you know, and I have, I have bought tickets um, and brought a bunch of crusty dykes uh, <laughs> twice to Barbie. And I'm, you know, going to round up some other crusty trustees. And drive them back to the, like, because it's, it's, I mean, some people like to go to the pool to cool off. I like to go, you know, into a darkened space and just dream, just immerse myself in the dream of overturning the patriarchy. Mm. It's like, take a deep dive into that. Was it hard to convince them to go? Um, It was a little hard to convince people to go, but once... You know, the crustier and dikier they are, they need low, no convincing, and they just feel the love. Aww. It's it's the people that are sort of like more tepid and just 
you know, that, that, that needs some, um, persuading, but, um, no, I have a hundred percent success rate, um, that ranges from like, Oh, that was much better to like, this is the best thing that was ever made. The most feminist movie that was ever made. (laughs) Um, and, um, I want to see it again. So, um, no, it wasn't hard. It's really interesting because, you know, the Barbie brand, the doll has had its ups and downs, has been rejected by feminists. And now Mattel successfully, I guess, has revisioned their doll line to be a feminist symbol. And, and, you know, you and I have been around, we all have been around for a long time. And we certainly saw how Mattel went after Aqua, Todd Haynes with Superstar and, you know, um, it's, it's, so it's interesting to see like Mattel saying, hey, let's make this doll about empowering women as opposed to limiting their imagination. I give Mattel no credit. <laughs> Mattel was not the person that remade it. There's two people. It was a project that Margot Robbie wanted to bring to um, to the screen for a long time. She didn't originally envision herself as the star um, and she reached out to Greta Gerwig and, um, she approached other people to star, um, and people backed out of it and she made it and she helped bring in people like Ryan Gosling and other names so that the studio got over their resistance to this script. And I don't think, I mean, you know, corporations, they're, corporations are mm-hmm. fine with like any kind of critique as long as it's sell stuff. So I don't, I give Mattel no credit for, um, uh, for any of this and, um, Greta Garwig and Margot Robbie, all the credit for pulling off this amazing feat. Well, capitalism is going to take everything you love and gobble it up. <laughs> And it's interesting now that's like, you know, you have a one of the largest toy manufacturers in the world saying, hey, you know what? We can actually make money by embracing uh, gender equality, gender diversity, the diversity of women's bodies, as opposed to saying, no, this has to be one shape, one size. And that's it. Well, I think that the movie is bigger than what Mattel will make of it. I think like. I don't, you know, perhaps, I don't remember, but perhaps there, were, there was another big pop cultural um, moment where, a, you know, a critique that's structural, that condenses 30 years of, like, women gender studies, um, research and thought from an intersectional perspective into a, a format that's usually used to deliver escapist um, fantasy uh, with zero thought. Um, I don't know any other movie that says the word patriarchy at all eight or ten times. Right. A billion dollar billion dollar movie that says the word patriarchy. And says it over and over again and is clearly whether they pull it off or not fully. Whoops. I mean, we have some commentary here. Is that the terrier? In the back. No, that was that was the miniature poodle, or as I like to call him, the substandard poodle. <laughs> uh, we have the standard and we have the substandard. Um, and then the terrier is in kind of another 
class, uh, perhaps a mythological being of um, the uni- unicorn of um, the animal kingdom, uh, except ferocious, like basically a land shark, um, but adorable. In real life, you know, you are kind of the weird Barbie. and. <laughs> <laughs> and real I thought, life. Was it, yeah. You what know? is real life? I have no idea. <laughs> when you meet you in person, it's like you you have that sort of a Kate McKinnon quality of like, here's a heel shoe, here's a Birkenstock. Which path are you going to take? And your students go, I want the uh, I want the high heel shoes. And you're like, no, 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 take the Birkenstock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the nicest thing that anyone has ever said to me that I'm the weird Barbie. <laughs> but I think that's yeah. the, that's the beauty of lesbianism is that most of us are like the prophetic weird Barbies or as, um, you know, as they say in the movie, the choices are brainwashed or weird and ugly. And of course, like, I don't think we're actually ugly, but I'm fine to be like, you know, ugly to, um, to hegemonic culture. Mm. It's fine. Well, ugly is the new beautiful. (laughs) Ugly is the new beautiful. Anyone can wear it. (laughs) As a kid, you were allowed to only have one Barbie doll, and you're writing that you quickly turned it into a weird Barbie. Well, you know, I had to have a Barbie. I mean, I just, like, had to, had to, had to. I mean, I was... You know, children are really suckers for capitalism. And so, of course, they had to have one. And my mother wouldn't get me one. And I don't, I mean, she was such a, a Republican. I don't know what, I, 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 I can't remember what objection she might have had. What toys did your mother buy you instead? Oh, I got various baby dolls that I wanted. And then I would be like, oh, God, I hate I hate babies. I hated babies. <laughs> so the opening sequence where they smash the babies really resonated oh, with you. Oh my god, it's my it's my origin story. Mm. It's like the best. <laughs> it is the best. So I got the Barbie, but what I really liked playing with were like stuffed animals, my little stuffies, and also my plastic horses. Mm. Um, but I did, you know, playing with animals, uh you know, animal toys, I think, are a way, if you're a queer kid, that you can opt out of, like, a gender conversation mm. because they're not that gendered. I mean, you know, they've become more gendered, but I, I'm too old to have, like, been part of the, um, hey, stop it, um, the, um, the My Little Pony stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I would have liked My Little Pony so much because it's just too girly. So you were you wouldn't have been a brony? Do you know what that is? No. So bro- My is Little it? Pony, when it got rebooted by uh, a woman whose last name is Faust, mm. um, like me, <laughs> my first name is Faust, Ooh. and and she so they re- rebooted it and made it this, into an internet phenomena so much that um, cisgendered heterosexual men enjoyed the show so much that they decided to call themselves fans of My Little Pony as bronies. And they would go buy all the dolls and wear all the outfits and all that stuff. And it then became this kind of like, you know, because when you're you're cisgendered and heterosexual, but you embrace things that are not assigned to you at birth, 
then you're kind of mm-hmm. queer, you know, right? And so yeah. you had all these like men and and queer people dressed up as ponies at at comic book expos and stuff like that. Oh well, you know, it's like I'm not against straight. I, you know, I I I I'm a liberal. Let's face it. I can imagine straight people having fun and being imaginative. Um, it's hard. I realize it's ha- it's hard. <laughs> It's hard. And, you know, their fun is, to me, limited in its fun. But, um, you know, but like, you know, I don't say that out loud, except to you. Um, (laughs) To the whole world listening. You know, um, I feel like Black Lives Matter said said to me, girl, you can get better. You can grow. And, um, you know, so I say to straight people, I believe in you. You can get better. I Mm. doubt that it will happen. But <laughs> could happen. So, well, bro, maybe bronies. I'm are glad hope. to hear about the bronies, so I don't have to kill a bunch of straight people it's, it's, again tonight. <laughs> and so you were attracted. You know, to this they breed. They breed. <laughs> yeah, they make future yeah. queer people. Mm-hmm. Well, even I know. Know, queer people also yeah. breed children, and too. like one out of four kids born these days identifies as something other as uh, than than straight. It's this hat, yeah. yeah. This is the this is the most hopeful thing. Absolutely. This and so you were hopeful. you were attracted to these horses because you thought of them as like you know they weren't mm! they weren't they weren't boyish they weren't girlish. <laughs> well, I don't know if I had that. You know, I ha- I you know only glanced at my Judith Butler coloring book <laughs> as a child and i asked for the like essential um um uh you know angela davis mm-hmm. but um it just it, it wasn't available in my area so mm. so i'm not sure if i would have had the insight to um think that it's not gendered but i didn't really like playing the girl things or the boy things so much. I was a horse. The fact is like, these were my people. Mm. It wasn't like, Oh, I imagine like playing with horses. It's like, no, I'm a horse. <laughs> you know, I think that's the uh, most wonderful thing definitely... about children is that they imagine themselves to be animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So my I, friend's kid I, was a dog yeah. named Pickles for three days. And if you bring it up to <laughs> him, totally denies it. He's like, that never happened. I'm like, we called you Pickles for three full days and you were oh, a dog. God. Pickles <laughs> is a really good name. It's a really good name. So I'm you, glad you, you imagined yourself that. as a horse as a, as a young child? Oh, yeah. Imagined. There, you're taking away the magic. I was a horse. <laughs> you were a horse. I have not been fully recognized as a horse, but like, you know, I was trans species, so I was a horse. Mm. Um, and I guess I was a pony first, um, but not a brony. Um, but, you know, what I did love about Barbies was the catalog because I liked looking at the different outfits and all the outfits were like a little scenario. It's like, oh, I'm going to have a car and I'm going to drive around and do things in my car. I mean, my mother barely drove by herself. I, here I am in Paris. Here I am, like, <laughs> being a veterinarian who's also a jockey, who's also a scuba diver. Mm. Um, there were all these different scenarios that weren't about being a wife and a mother and, um, you know, uh, batteries not included. 
But, you know, I, 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 I had to save my money. I had to pick between buying Barbie outfits, which were expensive, and buying horses, which were also expensive. I couldn't have both. So I, I just saved up and I think possibly um, committed some um, petty theft around the house to get money for horses. I also, a friend of mine that I recently connected from, to um from those days said do you remember you used to write things and go around and sell it door to door i'm like what and she's like no you would write horse stories about how you were a horse and drawings of horses and you would sell them door to door and i'm like okay this is i so I was a little capitalist. Um, <laughs> well, was there a book or, or extre- something that ignited your passion for horses as a as a young girl? It just, you know, I looking in a mirror and I saw the horse, and then there was like, mm. um, but when you know, had you actually using, seen a physical horse, like an a horse? Yeah. Yeah, child, yeah I had seen I had seen physical horses and I kept begging for like um I was gonna say horse lessons to become a better horse. But you know, there's like <laughs> I don't want to take, you know, dance classes or music class. I was tortured with music classes. I'm like terminally and I'm proudly tone deaf, I'll just say. I failed at a bunch of different instruments, and I was like, horses, horses. Yes, I want some little um, pony to buck me off. I, um, but, you know, it, it happened uh, irregularly because I wanted it too much. And I, my parents were like, you know, she needs to, like, be taught that being a woman is about not getting what you want. So we're just going to deny her that. But, you know, there was also like this horse literature of like the Marguerite Henry books that um, uh, are still are in print, but there were a lot of them were written in the 40s and the 50s with really beautiful illustrations. And they were stories about horses and ponies and donkeys and, um, Mm-hmm. So I just would read them over and over and over again. And that I did get or check them out from the library and, um, you know, and then I wanted to write book. I, here's like what a like weird Barbie I was as a kid. It was like <laughs> I was surrounded by people, girls who liked horses, but not as much as I did. But I was just like. No, but wait, you don't understand. You have to immerse yourself. Like, let's have a club and let's get together and get what we're going to do in our club. We're going to read books about horses. But wait, that's cool, but not cool enough. Then we're going to write book reports. Oh, we all love <laughs> making book reports. And then we're going to draw horses and we're going to read our book reports and show our <laughs> pictures of horses to each other. Like, that happened once, and then I think, like, you know, um, people blocked our, you know, phone calls from me. Mothers, mothers hid their children from when they saw me galloping. <laughs> oh, it's a horse girl. My- Holly, a horse you're, girl. you're not alone. I, I had a, a, one of my best friends. 
in middle school was Claudia. Mm-hmm. And I, I gotta, I don't know where she's at today, but I gotta assume that she was a lesbian, but she would go to me and say, let's play horses. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? And she just starts uh-huh. smacking her side and going, <laughs> and running around. And that yes. was the game. Yes. And she had never yeah. seen, like, I, one day I was like, have you ever ridden a horse or been at a, you know, a barn or, a, and she said, no. <laughs> she had never well, seen a horse. animals, you know, people are attracted to them. I, I work every now and then at this place that has horses, see these yeah. really fantastic horses and just, people are just, they're mesmerized by them. They're in love with them. They're just, it's everything. I think there's some kind of psychosexual connotation to you it think? as well. Yeah. Like Equus, you know? There is like (laughs) a long history of girls being um, attracted to horses and there's actually writing about, you know, the, the first wave feminists, this is, you know, of course, thinking of like middle class and upper middle class Anglo American women. Um, But a lot of the first feminists were equestrians. It was the first sport that women could compete in the first Mm. and um and they could compete with men um there's not in horse events of any kind there's not like two different uh, um Mm. you know there's not a male horse riding and a female barrel racing they're the same um and that's really unique and you get on a horse and you're really big you're a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. And um, well, some women say they had their first big O while riding a horse. Orgasm, yeah. Yeah, it didn't happen for me, but like, um, but um, maybe it happened for other people. And you, you said uh, that the Barbie movie is a lot of fun. It's, it's it, you know, gets a lot of things right. But one thing they hob- horribly misfired is the associating horses with the patriarchy and as a symbol of what the boys, the men wanted when they took over Barbie land. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a mistake. Although I've had some friends who are smarter than me who pointed out that, um, you know, during the big bar, the big can battle um, that starts at the beach where of course, like that's Ken's place of work. Uh, the beach, um, and then moves into the dance floor as it does. They're starting with, um, they're, all of the Kens are still living in Barbieville. So what they have to fight with are girl things. I mean, like pom-poms and toys. And they're, <laughs> you know, one band of uh, Kens are riding um, hobby horses, galloping on hobby horses so they're they're you know the uh, these people argued that what she was um uh, that she was going for is like the you know the kens are still subordinate to the barbies even when they're trying to like you know run some jordan peterson um move Mm. on barbieville (laughs) Mm. Yeah, it, you know, to me, it's like uh, it, it's it, it's wonderfully wacky, and I think sometimes people are trying to read too much into the film. Like they just don't allow the film to just be a joyful escape. 
Like it has to be like these right wingers are all like burning Barbie dolls, you know, because they're like this movie attacks men and is hurting men and stuff and men's culture and so on. And I'm just like, can't you just like have let people have this one movie and enjoy it for what it is and not try to make it it into a polemic, you know? I think it does intend to hurt men. Those men. (laughs) (laughs) And the film is going to shift people's uh, attitudes or shape our our minds on how films are made or feminism is talked about in the future. Oh, well, that would be, I mean, that seems like a lot to ask of a movie. Um, That's what I say. You know, but (laughs) it would be great, but you know, and, and kind of, you know, uh, uh, sort of a five-year-old idea of like how change happens. But I think that what, what it does is introduce structural critiques, um, and get it out there into the larger, um, conversation. And, um, and also it's really the success of it is so important. It's like you see people losing their mind over the success of it. And it just, it feels like, and the movie is so queer coded. It feels like, it feels like a win for women and queer people. So does it going to, you know, I mean, does it like take all of the magas and herd them into like a pen and have them reprogrammed? (laughs) No, sadly, sadly, but no, but, but it helps that's us the survive. That's, yeah, that's the sequel. sequel. <laughs> well, that's the at home board game that they'll hope you'll play. You know, <laughs> now you go out and do battle and destroy the patriarchy. You know, capitalism and racism. One thing that I think we all as progressives can learn from the success of the film is that fun can be political and the movie's a oh, lot yeah. of fun and it gets people excited, optimistic, happy to talk about equality and, and you know, dismantling systemic problems as opposed yes. to being like, you know, wah, 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 call the wambulance. It's like, no, everybody <laughs> wants to be like Barbie. Everybody wants to uh-huh. hang out with Barbie. You know, it's like Barbie's fun. Mm-hmm. Barbie dances. It's and, a fun movie from start to end. Yeah. You know, it, you know, and I thought, can we do a spoiler alert here for people? So skip, if you haven't seen this, what makes it PG 13 to me is, is so infuriating. What's that? The last word of the movie. <laughs> gynecologist <laughs> I'm here to see the gynecologist the last line and I'm just kind of like this is why it's PG-13 that's it I don't, I don't know if it's that I mean there's some violence right there's no violence no sexuality nothing in this movie that could even you could argue I mean Shrek has more double entendres and you know risque things than this movie and, and Shrek is not PG-13 well it's it like you know, I mean, I think part of its secret is it's like opting out of dealing with sexuality. It's not a romance. She's not. We actually don't know what Barbie's sexuality is. I mean, she's clearly not into Ken. We don't know. And maybe she doesn't know. Um, but I think like um, 
It doesn't try to make itself palatable to men and worry yeah. about male feelings by putting in a romance plot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like Barbie meets some nice guy in the real world of Venice Beach, if there is such a thing. Um, or if, in you know, fact, something she else. uses the seduction of of Ken as a as a way to sort of turn the tables around. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And even exactly. you know, like uh, America Ferrera's monologue talking about how it's impossible to be a woman is being mm-hmm. heralded as this kind of like. I mean, we want to talk about a polemic and an Oscar-nominated mm-hmm. moment here. Uh, she says, uh, and I want to get your thoughts on this as the weird Barbie and feminist and performance artist that you are. Uh, she says, being a woman is too contradictory and nobody gives you a medal or says thank you. It turns out, in fact, that not only are you doing everything wrong, but also everything is your fault. I'm just so tired mm-hmm. of watching myself and every single other woman tie herself into knots so that people will like us. And if all of that is also true for a doll, just representing women, then I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a brilliant moment in the in the film. I mean, it's it's a great piece of writing. I think I th- that I think resonated with a lot of women, and um, you know, it's going to stick mm-hmm. in people's minds. I, there's going to be girls that use it as their audition monologue to go to acting class. Um, <laughs> All right, brava, brava, kudos. Um, you know, the one, the, the, one of the few things that I think doesn't work, um, other than the questionable choice about horses, um, is, um, I think she should have just said, you know, given the patriarchy trucks mm. or just even tires. Didn't your, <laughs> didn't your spouse, your husband f- make you fall in love with them by showing you the truck? <laughs> on the first date? She did. She did. Mm. She did. But it's different. <laughs> it's different with a, you know, a, a girl with a truck is different than, um, you know, a guy with a truck. Well, I kind of um, feel like, you, you know, with Barbie Land 2, it's like, it's, you know, it's inside the mind of a girl in many ways, a young girl. And so what does she play with Barbies? And she also has horses. So what's going to piss her off? Oh, Ken's going to take all the horses now. And like, oh, yeah. no, you don't. I think that's something to rail against. I think that I think you know. I think that's what Gerwig was going for. Obviously, she didn't run it by me. (laughs) I would (laughs) have. You know, um, my one. There, there. I could have some quibbles about the Mm -hmm. movie, but it's mostly not important. But I do think that, like, you know, um, uh, America Ferrara has another like short monologue at the end where she's asking, um, she makes us ask for um, uh, new models of Barbie dolls for Mattel to make. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like an ordinary um, Barbie that's just a mom. And it's like, no, no, no. I want her to like be back to, um, I, I, I want there to be a bigger, I want there to be a bigger ask. I don't know what I wanted, you know, we're sort of like, um, there was such a bold imagination in this movie of, um, what they were thinking about. And it's a child's world where like, you know, if you're a child, you don't have to see a horse or have a horse. If you say you're a horse, you're a horse, 
You know, if you say you're on the moon, well, you're on the moon. If you say your friends can fly, somebody's going to get a broken leg. <laughs> <laughs> but it Ask does have a, me like a how I know. But I just what? think that, did like, you, did that you break your leg given... as a kid? No, oh. I broke a wrist, but oh, it was somebody no. else's wrist. Did, oh, you, no. did, they ju- did they jump off a garage and into like a waiting blanket that ever, all the kids were holding? I, no, I jumped on someone, so uh-huh. I broke them. So that wasn't a total mistake, <laughs> but I was really like, I was really that sort of child logic. Well, I say my Barbie can fly and they can fly. So, I, you know, ex- experiments with reality. Um, <laughs> what happened to your Barbie? Um, what happened to my Barbie? Obviously, that's controversial with my dogs, as you can hear in the background. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to discuss this. Seems to hang on just a second. I'm on a podcast. Okay, give me a minute um, to get through here. All right, I'm going outside. Come on, dogs. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Um, what happened to my Barbie? I think she's in the witness protection program. <laughs> um, but I think that what she did after being in the witness protection program is she was probably um, found herself relocated to a landfill. And then um, pieces, <laughs> you know, she it really broke her up like literally and she ended up in different pieces probably floating down the St. Lawrence Seaway which was part of her dream Mm -hmm. and um, you know you're probably she's probably in um, your glass of water right now so Mm. so she lives on yeah the microplastics (laughs) they all live all the Barbies live inside us now right they're all inside us we are made out of plastic now I mean, I think one of the things that's genius about oh, stop! They're, now they're gonna com- they're gonna complain outside. <laughs> um, it adds um, a wonderful uh, background effect. <laughs> that's good. It's it really gives that sort of like cinema verite without the cinema part. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, cinema canate. Um, I think one thing that's like genius about um, the movie is it's not just queer coded, but like I have to wonder if Gerwig was influenced by the fabulous um, late Cuban queer theorist, um, uh, Jose Munoz, um, who in the 90s started writing about um, how queer artists of color we're responding to um, representation by mainstream media. And instead of just saying, these are terrible, you know, stereotypes of like, um, Carmen Miranda is a total stereotype of Latinidad. People like Carmelita Tropicana started like taking some of those images and ideas and remaking them and reconsidering them and making them subversive. So um, there's a long history of particularly queer artists of color, but other queer artists as well, of rather than just disavowing pop culture, um, reworking it and Mm -hmm. subverting it. So I think it's 
you know, I'm not I'm not saying that Greta Gerwig is possibly vaginal cream Davis, but I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe he's under deep cover and he's just pretending to be this white blonde woman um, because he knew he would get his movie made. Mm. Um, maybe, yeah. Who knows? Maybe the secret co co writer. Secret co writer. I like it. It, it is co-co. interesting this like Twilight Zone scenario that they make they they make Barbie Land into right. So it's like it's not just like the dolls live in their own world, but they're a part of our existing world, and our actions impact them and vice versa. Yes, and I think this is like I mean that's something that. Gerwig used, I think, so brilliant, brilliantly, because here's this movie that, you know, the lead, the lead person is this white cis, Barbie doesn't seem to have a class, but she's like, you know, coded as middle class or upper middle class affluent person, and yet she's connected, her material experience is connected to the struggles of uh, a working mother of color who's in this dead-end corporate job. And I think it's like an imaginative attempt to think about how, you know, how uh, the kind of women who might be represented or resemble Mm -hmm. Robbie's Barbie um, can think about their sort of like demand for feminism to like be in conversation with working women, women of color, um, women who are not like them. Um, it, it, so you know, you I just pointed really out that America Ferrera works for Mattel, and that's just like I, I think a lot mm-hmm. of people don't realize that her dead end job is working for the company that makes Barbies. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Yeah. You know, and it and it is like it's interesting that the two big things that people want to buy from the movie, not besides you know Barbie dolls in general, but it's like it's the weird Barbie, and then mm-hmm. the hoodie that says "I am enough," uh-huh. or in Spanish "Yo soy suficiente Ken," <laughs> <laughs> which whoever translated that is brilliant, by the way. Uh huh. Yes. That's great. Yeah, no, I, I, I have thought about getting both of those things. I'm not ashamed. I'm like, maybe I'll show up in the first day of class, like, <laughs> I am, Knuff. you know, in the M Knuff. You can call me <laughs> Professor Knuff. I heard those are on back order. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what frustrates me about it is, hmm. once again, it is you know, it's like the the fuzzy fleece that that. Uh, I'm calling him Ryan Reynolds. Uh, Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling wears in the movie, and the embroidery that has "I am Knuff" is not what they're selling. They're selling like printed fleece, oh. and the fle- fleece is flat. And I'm just like, man. Oh, uh, you, know, you know, like, come on. Some like fabulous queer has to like do it right. I mean, it's just like, but also I'll say. Fausto, the message is really important. <laughs> <laughs> I it's must really have a- important that it gets out there. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of fuzzy fleece sweaters, and I'm just like, I've been combing the internet to find the exact sweater. Because they, they just bought that off the rack, you know? 
And then I can go yeah. to an embroidery place and make it exactly like the movie. But I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just struggling finding it. So listeners out there, Holly, anybody, help us. I know. This is an opportunity. <laughs> this is an opportunity. I know. I, I, um, I, I want to go back to the movie. And I, I thought that there's just the visual world that Gerwig creates is so rich mm-hmm. and interesting. And, um, um, you know, the, the, that, that fuzzy t-shirt and of course where Barbie pop out, but I think there's like, I also wanted, you know, I wanted the waffle with the like plastic, you know, <laughs> dab of butter. <laughs> um, <laughs> that really was a very, very fun element. The food that doesn't get eaten. <laughs> yeah. Well, we call you that know, vampire eating, you know? Yeah. And, 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 uh, you and know, a, I wish there was a bit of a reference to Todd Haynes' film. I, I, I mean, just masterful film. This was his graduate thesis, I guess. Right. Superstar. Right. That he was right. sued by Mattel because he made, took all the dolls and recreated the story of Karen Carpenter's life, who had a famously an eating disorder, anorexia, nervosa. And, you know, so it's interesting that Barbie doesn't really eat, you know, so she's just kind of pretending. Well, I think that the fact that I I think the one thing that um, that I think is really intrinsic to thinking about Barbie critically and that Gerwig doesn't take on as well as maybe she could is really about food and the way that women's imaginations and life possibilities are mm. really um, shadowed by the, the ever-present thought about and fears about getting fat. And I wish there had been, she deals a little bit with, I mean, there's, there's some larger bar- Barbies and uh, a few other things, but um, I, I think there could have been a line or two. I don't expect the movie to like, completely resolve those issues it's too big an ask but i think she makes it clear that um barbie barbie's physical um perfection if you want to see it as that is going to change because of aging we see that um that's pretty clear but not about like you know also that you're going to get fat or your body is going to change. Your body um, won't cooperate. Your body, your body won't cooperate. Yeah. Um, but, um, but isn't uh, that what bodies do? Isn't that what dolls do? Like you wanted to pose your Barbie in a certain way, and you're like, "Damn it, they don't do this," you know. And then I couldn't yeah. spread her legs in a useful <laughs> way. You know, she just went yeah. forward and back and I had another doll that like I liked better and you could spread her legs laterally so she could sit on a horse. Mm. I was like, what good is it being, a, you know, Barbie could have, I can't have a horse, but Barbie could, but no, she can't because she's, you know, that, that was really my you know, that's she when I had even my Barbie. She couldn't sit side saddle, right? Because her legs were just no. Yeah. She couldn't I sit know. side saddle. It was, it was. I think that some Barbie dolls have different joints now, but I. She um, needs a chariot, is what she needs. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, Barbie and her chariot. You know, I mean, there were so many. You know, the thing about it is, is there's so much material and so many things to explore for a sequel 
that it's inevitable that there will be one. But it's like, for me, I remember the, the most um, fascinating doll my sisters had that, of course, I was not allowed to play with when they were around, but of course, wound up playing with them anyways, was the biracial Barbie. So oh. if you poured hot water on her, <laughs> she what? changed skin color. So she would get tan. You had to pour. You had to pour hot cold water. water. I can't remember the temperature of the water, but you oh know, my with God. this change of temperature, her skin color changed, and then her head, the top of her head, rotated so you could make her a blonde, or rotate the head and make her a brunette. And it was like the most. I don't remember. Fascinating. I, I remember thing. the hair twist one, but I don't yeah. remember her skin color change. Oh yeah, and then you could also put stickers wow. on her skin, and then you poured the water on it, and then it's like she was tanning, you know. But you were like, you interpreted it as like she was either black or white, you know. As right. A kid, and we were just that like, wow. Is, and did you love? Did you and your sisters love it? We loved everything. Loved like uh, the thing about it is, it's like it was a it was a great opportunity for me. You know, my older sister was kind of like a secondary mother to me, you know, and so, uh -huh. and we were all, you know, my younger sister and I, we were hero worship my older sister, right? To this day, we still uh -huh. do. And so, you know, any chance to be like, hey, would you like to play with Barbie's dream house? And we're like, uh -huh. absolutely. <laughs> and we took it very seriously. And the, uh -huh. the, the, the scene, the opening scene of Barbie just floating down from the, the top of the house into her car mm -hmm. is something every single kid did. Yes. And to me, I'm just exactly. like, it's, it's just so, uh, you know, powerful. And I love it when adults can, you know, like Paul Rubens is like, remember uh, so clearly the, what it's like to be a child and bring that exactly. into the adult world, you know? Yes. Yes. They, yes, that was such a huge loss. And yeah, set that, that sequence of just floating the Barbie down is really wonderful. I was talking to some younger gay men last night um, about, did they play with that? What kind of toys did they play with? And they both grew up with sisters. And one of them was talking about how the sisters had some plastic horses um, and Barbies and also My Little Ponies. Um, more My Little Ponies than the plastic horses that I had. And um, this guy had dinosaurs. And so they would have like these <laughs> whole day long, they take over a room and set it up for like the adventures with the dinosaurs playing with the My Little Ponies and Barbies. Aww. And um, <laughs> uh, so it was like prehistoric Barbie. Prehistoric Barbie, interspecies Barbie. Um, <laughs> yeah, I you mean, know. Who, who didn't have sex orgies with their Barbie? You know, it's like you took all their clothes off, and if there's a G.I. Joe, you took his clothes off too. But it's, usually it was like, and my sister would get so mad when we were like, you know, scissor sistering the Barbies together. She was oh, like, God. <laughs> and to us, that was like, you know, the, the Barbie was the thing, the doll that you could project your imagination onto. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and yeah. for some for people with big imaginations, it was it was an irresistible toy that everybody wanted yes. to play with. Yes. You know? Yes. Now, you, you and your work as a performance artist, I, I do recall, and maybe I'm not remembering this correctly, that you actually had Barbie dolls in your shows at one point in time, or you had it as a prop? 
I think that somebody remembered that there was a piece I did. I, I had plastic horses in a piece that mm-hmm. I only did a couple of times. And um, I think there was a Barbie doll in it. And I don't remember it very well. It was literally like a night cub performance. I mean, one of the things about being a performance artist in the East Village in the 80s is you knew that dolls were going to die. It wasn't performance art. It wasn't in the East Village. If a doll didn't pay a price in a show, um, everybody <laughs> tortured dolls or like wore, you know, doll parts on their body. Um, or shoved it up their orifices. Or Yeah, I mean, know. a million ways to like <laughs> desecrate dolls. Um, I mean, we think of uh, Andre of- Serrano. Wasn't Piss Christ also had a Barbie doll submerged in urine or something? Or it just seems no, like it has it has a, a Jesus. It was Jesus. I don't know if it's Bar- Barbie Jesus, but but there um, was a, there was like a, I mean, am I just rem- just is my mind just morphing all these things? But it seems like Barbie dolls were just. I mean, in my performance work in the nineties, I had Barbie dolls as well, and that somebody a fan of mine made a Barbie doll dressed up as me in drag. And brought it Ooh, to the show. Fabulous! Oh, and I was just like, beloved. I was so honored, and I was just like, wow, that you got is. all the details, all the makeup. Like they made it look oh so my. realistic. I have no oh idea where that God. doll is. But it was like oh it was a thing. Like you know, it was it, you know a Todd Haynes influence so much. But it, uh-huh. but it's like it was just you know an irresistible prop to you know bring in talking about the patriarchy and feminism and dolls and proxies and stuff like that. And I feel there's like everybody used those dolls for, for their shows. Yes. It was, it was like very much in the air. I, you know, somebody said to me, I don't know if this is true, but somebody said to me, um, about apropos the, um, the Karen Carpenter story, um, featuring uh, the Barbie dolls that Todd Haynes made that was like superstar that um, was embargoed that guess Mattel um, went after them, but Mattel was ready to settle. Um, And the person that really went after um, the film and has made it like impossible to see is um, her brother, Richard. Mm -hmm. Oh, Richard. Just like, Yes, that he's just kind of like this is demeaning, and what well, portrays him as gay, like, as a closeted gay man. I don't know if he is in real life, yeah. but you know, he's like you're right. going to ruin our career. Like they, 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 they do not paint him in a very flattering light. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I don't know what the story is. It could be both things. Um, easily. Well, do you remember Igor Vamos with the Barbie Liberation Organization who famously uh, bought a bunch of G.I. Joe dolls and Barbie dolls and so had the G.I. Joe dolls say, math is hard. Let's go shopping. Right. And then the yes. Barbie dolls was like, dead men tell no tales. <laughs> right. I remember that. It was so great. It was genius. And then he reversed shoplifted into stores. And so it became such a phenomenon that all the kids for Christmas wanted the weird Barbie that, that talked like a man, you know? Right. Say, drag is for children. <laughs> <laughs> I so agree. It's like, it's the art form that, it's the best art form that children really like. I mean, some of the art forms that they like are, 
you know, um, like the Barney song, best, or not the Barney song, the like uh, Baby Shark song, mm-hmm. um, is, is, you know, best left behind, but like drag is some children love it and they're right. It's the only thing that children are right about. Drag is great. I'm just thinking of like of human you know, civilization. It's like all the things I like is like being taken over by kids. You know, like, go get your own <laughs> shit. I know it's true. It is true. I'm just like you know the drag queen story hours and Republicans railing against it. I'm like, oh, so like the three drag queens in this country that are doing that can't do it anymore. You know. And it's not right. like it was a big deal to begin with, but, it, you know, it's RuPaul's Drag Race. And well, it's a big deal to those who attend. And, again, yeah. who's in attendance? It's queer families, right, for yeah. the most part. Or that's somebody true. that's, you know, queer adjacent, at least. Who wants to, you know, have their kid have that, some a positive experience with somebody who's, you know, colorful and dazzling. And everybody's scared of clowns now, so, you know, drag queens are less scary. Or more. Yeah. <laughs> Scary in all the best ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do, you, do you find it? Uh, I guess I'm curious to know your thoughts on you know pop stars like Lady Gaga calling herself a performance artist, and you know it's like now the term performance artist like kind of become this like chic high fashion thing, and it you know in 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 its origins it was dirty, it was messy, it was countercultural, it was not people weren't doing this because they wanted million dollar careers they were doing it because as a way to speak out against society i mean i think that people aren't into lady gaga because she calls herself a performer i think that's like sort of uh you know i think i think performance art is still sort of a derided art form for the most part um but it's a way to um and usually used as um, a negative. Um, you know, it, it, how many places have I read something where, like, Trump is just a performance artist? Um, you know, there'll be some horrible thing that happened, and the perpetrator is described as um, a performance artist. And you're just like, oh, God. Um, <laughs> so it's like they're know. attaching the term to something they don't understand. Right. Um, And I think that um, I I think she's probably using it as a way to like signal that she's being very conscious about the work that she's doing and situating it in terms of an art form. And, And by all accounts, she, you know, she did, she does think about, um, you know, she did want to think about putting, situating her work in a larger sort of art historical context, you know, that isn't just commercial work. And I'm sure she's not the only person that Well, did I mean, that, in the 90s, you were the household name people associated when you said, you know, feminist performance art. People uh-huh. knew Holly Hughes, right? Because of the uh-huh. NEA4. Right. Where, right. where, where did you, how did you find out that your grant had been rescinded? Like, do you remember the day that you're like, oh, oh shit. Like, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, because um, 
I, I knew that, I mean, the, the, <laughs> the trick is trying to remember how did people communicate in 1990? How did that happen? <laughs> we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have the internet. And Telegrams. yet still sometimes, yeah, Pony Express, it would have been nice if it had been by Pony Express. But, <laughs> you know, the, this, that, um, that decision didn't come out of nowhere, fall out of the sky. It, um, we had gotten some advanced warning that it was coming and there was, um, there were a lot of other, um, we knew that this restrictive language had been passed by the Congress on NEA funding that explicitly banned home, you know, work that could be considered homoerotic and, um, um, I think we got the word that our grants were being scrutinized and I was, had like some terrible day job and I had scrimped and saved to give myself a little mini vacation at this like very cheapo cottage um, in the middle of nowhere and um, we knew the decision was coming, and I remember um, having to give the phone number of this little, you know, I mean, there were these little cabins. It was a very blue-collar little getaway on some water. Um, and uh, give the phone number of the office of these cabins to the lawyers and getting the call and having a conversation that was public. I think I might've taken the call in the laundry room. Well, vacationers, you know, and I'm talking about you know, I'm crying, I'm upset. Um, one of the conversations um, was, uh, one of the lawyers asking why I thought I had been targeted. And I said, well, clearly it's because I'm a lesbian. And I mean, in 1990, you just like did not, there were people in the laundry room fold, folding their laundry and they were not <laughs> members of like, um, they weren't from PPOW gallery, <laughs> you know, um, some, uh, local, they weren't from the pyramid club in the East village. They were just, it was like a little bit hilarious. Of course, <laughs> the lawyers told me like, you can't say that. You, you know, if you go out in public and say you were defunded because you were gay, we'll lose the case. You lose it for everyone. Do you want to do that? And I'm just like, what in the fuck am I supposed to do? Like, so what did you guys wind up doing? Well, I mean, I was sort of like, you're the lawyers, you know what to do. Um, and I guess I just kind of thought that's bullshit. When I talked to the press, um, I was always talking about it was homophobic and Three of the NEA four were openly gay. I was wrong because one of the people was gay, but not openly gay, um, because he had a film career in Hollywood that got kind of blown up by um, and, and made this like had this double life doing performance art that was very queer. But like there wasn't Are an you talking internet. About John Fleck? Yeah, I'm talking about John Fleck. For, for who's people amazing. who don't know, he's a regular actor on Star Trek. 
<laughs> from for years and, and yeah yeah he's been on a million things yeah. he made a brilliant show about always playing the villain like this like coded mm-hmm. um you know villainous gay um creature from outer space often um and uh so that was I didn't know. I didn't intend to do that. But I talked about it all the time. But one of the things that I think younger people might not realize is like in 1990, um, newspapers like the New York Times, the LA Times, Washington Post did not use the words lesbian and gay. They used the word homosexual and they tried to avoid using it at all. So they just called us indecent. And I remember screaming at a reporter that um, they had to say, um, they had to say I was a lesbian and that that was the reason I believed that I was defunded because of this law. And the, the writer from the New York Times wrote this very, you know, Holly Hughes, who you know, the thing that she wants you to most know about her is that she is a lesbian. She won't talk to you unless you acknowledge her lesbianism. Because I really wanted it to not just be some sort of vague, amorphous thing. This was part of a larger controversy that was happening in in the shadow of the AIDS epidemic in this time, which was, you know, then is now a big attack on the civil liberties of like queer people. Well, that's why we started this podcast and, you know, so many people of our generation got into not just, you know, performance art, but also media in general is because we saw that we were invisible, you know, like Ellen DeGeneres Mm -hmm. coming out on her, on her sitcom was, was this like earth shattering event that even like, um, you know, I can't remember the corporation that created after Ellen, the website was like a blog yeah. about lesbian uh-huh. news in general, but they called it after Ellen because it's like so much had changed in the world yeah. after Ellen DeGeneres came out. And, you know, you had a lot of performance right. art it, culture uh, people involved in writing that episode even, you know, and the, a lot right. of people from the wow cafe scene in the 1980s that you were a part of. You know, mm-hmm. Did, mm-hmm. did you ever like get any like people from your own community like mad at you or hating you? Like you ruined it for all of us. No. The- <laughs> oh <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh my god, I got no love from the most of the queer community or the left. Um, I was. What did um, they accuse you of? Well, um, part of what I was accused of is. Um, um, you know, my work wasn't really transgressive enough. That was something. Um, I think. What do they mean by it, transgressive? It that it was not like I don't know. You have to like, or it was too, you know, funny. <laughs> they would, you know, um, 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 uh, you'd have to ask them. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's just an mm-hmm. accusation you can make and you don't have to back up. So there it was just was a word they article. were throwing at you, but they themselves. Yeah, that understand. I wasn't really transgressive because, you know, part of what was going on is that they thought mm-hmm. that this was um, 
this was a great thing for my career. There's no such thing as bad publicity. Mm -hmm. But, you know, anybody who says that hasn't had this kind of thing. I mean, I got hate mail. I got death threats. Places I performed were threatened with defunding, with bomb threats. Um, People who presented me lost funding. It was very scary. So So, in some ways you were like blacklisted. We were like, we were definitely targeted and we Mm -hmm. were really terrified. Um, So um, it's not something you would want to wish on anyone. um, Well, I might, you know, I'm a, I'm a terrible person. So I might (laughs) want to wish it on some people. (laughs) Who's available for me to wish it on? (laughs) Melania Trumper. But, yeah, but uh, you know, in in terms of that moment in time, you know, you were just like holding your breath because it's like your whole future as an artist was in question, right? And um, you know, I got support from just like a small handful of people, but um, it, it felt, you know, we got we got critique from. From all over the map, including the left um, and including the LGBTQ community. So it was, there was, I mean, did it um, increase my name recognition? Yes. Um, But. (sighs) But not in a way that you could capitalize on. Or, but yeah. I mean, you know, today maybe, right. and, and it, it was like you'd be like, get your, I, you know, I was banned by the NEA t shirts, you know, but like today, you know, is a different time period. And I think it's like we have a more sarcastic way of viewing political oppression than back in the eight, late 80s and early 90s. Yeah. I, I still think most of these things were people, I mean, look at Sinead O'Connor, mm, what, of course, yeah. that was around the same time. But, um, you know, um, particularly women, people of color, queer people do something that's super controversial. I mean, they're often fully canceled. Um, and it's, it's pretty, um, it's pretty scary. So, um, is, I don't is that know. part of the motivation of getting into teaching? Part of the motivation for getting into teaching was, yes, that, um, you know, um, traveling all the time, um, doing short gigs around the country endlessly to, um, it was great, but it wasn't sustainable. So, um, so I had done some, I had done teaching, but, um, uh, opportunities opened up to do it more long term. So, so that's how it happened. But it's so beautiful that you get to share your legacy and your experience and your wisdom with so many young people at the University of Michigan and Ann Arbor. Well, not the wisdom. The wisdom I, I keep to myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what they Surely say. Some of us fall. A lot of it's I've like, talked to a lot of your students, and, call, uh, and you know, uh, certainly Larry Lafontaine <laughs> thinks the world of you. And, oh, you know, he's oh, he's fabulous. He's you're, fabulous. Uh, what would you, your associate, your uh, my, colleague, my colleague, yeah. colleague, co-pilot, whatever? Yes, 
my daily inspiration, Larry. Um, yeah, you know, the, the last thing the student, the youth of today wants is boomer wisdom, even, even from a crusty dyke. <laughs> like, well, you're the one of the most wonderful crusty dykes I know. And, and certainly oh. we adore you and, and we love your work. And, you know, for people who are not familiar with Holly Hughes, uh, you're, just the titles of your shows are Well of Horniness, <laughs> The Lady Dick, <laughs> Clit Notes. I mean, I, I, right. I, you know, and one uh, reviewer said you were sort of like uh, the the lesbian uh, uh, love child of John Waters and Charles Bush, which I oh, think is a very generous and lovely thing to say to anyone, you know. It is. It is. I don't feel like I really earned it, but I'll take it. Well, we'll be That's talking lovely. to Charles on Monday. Yeah, like basically Monday. the next <laughs> guest oh. is, is Charles Bush. He's got a new book out. You know. Uh, Oh, well, We're say hi. Up. I'm a huge fan. I, will, and, I mean, definitely. I've met him a couple of times, but we don't know each other well. But, of course, I'm a big fan. I like to think my first lesbian role model was the late lamented Paul Lind. <laughs> and so I, you know, he, he uh, do you know the story of why he got rejected for uh, an award in uh, Northwestern, Northwestern University? Yeah. Oh, no, but I, I want to hear. He was a, you know, he was a drinker and he was also racist. Yeah. And so he goes to a McDonald's and he's just standing he's drunk there in line. drunk as a skunk in line. Yes. Doesn't, doesn't excuse his behavior. And he turns to the black man behind him in the, in line and says, shouldn't you be in behind the counter helping out? And the guy's like, uh, he, I guess he was like, well, he, I don't know what he said, but he, he went back to the university where he was a professor and said, Hey, listen, this is what Paul Lynn said to me. And so they're like, uh, we are not going to honor you. At this yeah, season. no thanks. So, and I think he died oh, a few years wow. later. He would drank a lot. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. I knew yeah. that he was a huge drinker. And mm. I'm not surprised that, mm. unfortunately, <laughs> I mean, I, don't meet your idols. <laughs> don't meet your idols. Well, you know, no. don't talk about your idols on podcasts. And right, right. <laughs> Bruce Valanche, you know, he he's he was close friends with Paul Lennon and wrote for for, him mm-hmm. for years and stuff. And and he said it was just uh-huh. like it, it was, you know, babysitting an angry baby. Well, he said know? they used because they used to work together on this yeah. uh, Donnie and Marie show that which mm-hmm. was filmed out of. Provo, Utah. Oh my God. And I guess there were mm-hmm. some gay bars there. So they used to go like tape shows with Donnie Marie and then go out and like stay out all night at the gay bars. And they had a right. wild time. You know, right. I wanted to, to, to end with your reflections on do you remember lesbian chic or what that was? <laughs> so for people who don't know, lesbian chic was when it became cool to be queer for a brief moment in the early 90s which you were definitely part of this movement and and you had it, it culminated I think with Katie Lang getting shaved by Cindy Crawford on the cover <laughs> of Vanity Fair. Right. I mean there was a brief moment where people were saying it was chic to be a lesbian and um I think it was mostly it didn't translate into material conditions for most lesbians. Mm-hmm. And then even though it was a fake phenomena, then there was the backlash of people feeling like they're lesbians, they're so rich, they're gentrifying the neighborhood because like that the dykes are getting all the jobs and they just get half a million dollars to say you're a lessie. And 
<laughs> I mean, people were like, really? I was on a panel at the storied 92nd Street Y in the mid-90s. It was about subversive humor. And I didn't pay attention, stupidly, until I was on stage with, I was the only, certainly, not only was I the only gay person or person who did, had, who was a performance artist, I was the only person who wasn't a white man with their own TV talk show. And so they immediately started doing all these lesbian jokes, and including talking about, we moved to Park Slope, Brooklyn. It got ruined by the lesbians taking it over. And lesbian, you know, on and on, they're versions of lesbian chic. And you're just, um, so uh, it's, what that little sort of hiccup of deciding that three or four lesbians were briefly attracted. And I think you're right. Katie Lang, she was a big hit. Um, um, and a lot of people like, Oh, she's hot. And that lasted about five seconds. Tracy Chapman, Leah Delaria. You had Sophie B. Hawkins being like, I'm not a lesbian. I'm omnisexual. (laughs) Right. 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 But, you know, I think Leah Delaria yeah. was not somebody who, at that point, like, I, I think she's well off the radar of pop culture. But there, and Sophie had her her moment. Sophie was a person that I met at the Wow Cafe before she became famous. Oh wow! Well, yeah, God, you work with so around. many amazing people in those formative years. There were a lot of really amazing people that came through the world I was part of. And, you know, in, in so many cases, I profited so much from them doing my work. I certainly learned so much from seeing them do their work. Um, And then there were people that I just like kind of knew casually like Sophie. And there's like, Oh my God, she's got a, pop hit now on the radio who knew i know, <laughs> I know you're like that song's about me <laughs> <laughs> do you miss any uh, of that oh i i totally miss part of being being part of like ann arbor is like a fine place to live but it's very white and it's extremely straight it's just incredibly straight and even and it's very sort of genteel. So last week I was in Austin, Texas, and it was a million degrees, and it's in like Greg Abbott's state. So there's all these things that are not great about um, Austin, Texas. But, you know, this like I was at these tiny little theaters, and it was happening, and there was obviously like this rich, interesting cultural scene. I was just like, Oh my God, I'm just going to stay here, get a job working in a bar doing, I don't know, whatever the, you know, I'll wash dishes. Um, <laughs> you know? Oh yes. So I miss it a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't miss Austin, Austin not is, having health care, but no. you know, Austin's where I met you uh, as a young, I was seven no, I was 18 years old when I first met you and saw you perform oh, wow. at the Capital City Playhouse with Tim Miller. 
Okay, yes, and, yes, and yes. I thought you were hilarious. <laughs> oh, go on. I, I mean, really, remember like, that so I well. remember it, it, what was interesting about your performance is that, like, the gay men in the audience were laughing just as hard as the women at, at all your, uh, your material, you know, it's like uh-huh. that you you were more like Tim was more of like about politics and sexuality and, you know, raising your hand against the, the injustice and yours was so personal and hilarious and, and had this really, you know, um, pink flamingos uh, to describe it as a very juicy, sexual, um, messy discussion. I think it was world without end. What? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, mm-hmm. and to me, I was just like, you know, this is what I want to do in my life. <laughs> 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 and you inspired me and, and people in my generation to come out at a very, very young age. And, and for us, it's like in the lobby of your show, there was pamphlets get, being given out to go to uh-huh. act up meetings and to go to out youth Austin and mm-hmm. on the pamphlet, it said, you know, you will only be one of you for all time. Fearlessly be yourself. And seeing mm-hmm. you and Tim being fearlessly yourselves and, and being so naked and vulnerable in front of strangers at a time in your careers mm-hmm. where your whole future as artists was in question was such a generous mm-hmm. gift to all of us. And, you know, set the trajectory on my life. And this podcast, you know, having you back here really does feel like a full circle for me. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's very sweet. Great. Oh, that's so sweet. That's so <laughs> sweet. I didn't, I, you know, I remember that Austin gig very well. I don't remember meeting you, but like, I, I was do literally like meeting. one of 300 people in line going, Oh my God, you're so great. We just it was a little skinny boy. <laughs> you know, the, the, my favorite claim to fame, which is like, people are like, you weren't there. And I was like, Annie Sprinkle came a year later to the Vortex and she invited people to grab a flashlight and look inside her vagina. Right. And I was like, let me take a look at that. So I was like first in line (laughs) because everybody else was like, Uh didn't want to get in, you know, there. And so, so I, I, I'm standing there in line to look at her vagina and there's this photograph of Annie with her legs spread open. Barbara Corellis is there. And uh-huh. that's where I met Barbara as well. And, and, um, and, you know, I'm like really, really young. And you can see it in the face, but this photo of this young man looking at Annie Sprinkle's vagina is like in her books. It's all over, like all over the world, you know? Oh, and, wow. And I'm like, that's me. You know? <laughs> and it's just, Oh my God. Yeah. And it was, it was such a, uh, you know, it, it shaped our, like that whole scene shaped our lives. It, 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 you know, gave us so many great memories and, you know, what we do today and so many of those people from that scene, you know, influence so much of the world we inherited today. You know, so it's because of people like you doing this work that we're able to have these kind of conversations today. So, you know, if anybody's ever acknowledged that, it, it needs to be acknowledged more. Yeah. So thank you. Well, thank you. You yeah. know, this last weekend I visited the the Vortex Theater and it's thriving and that's so exciting to see. Isn't that amazing? Bonnie Cullum. That it's yes. a different space though now, isn't it? It's or, the same. It's it the is. same one from the early nineties. Well, it was on no, South no, Ben White. It's moved. Yeah. It was in Ben White and mm-hmm. then they moved it way, way long ago to Manor Road in Austin, mm-hmm. Texas. And it, you know, I think Bonnie Cullum, you know, she she is a practicing Wicca. She's mm-hmm. a witch. 
And I think she really cast a great spell in creating that space and mm-hmm, wisely mm-hmm. has managed it over the course of decades to make it this flourishing and still deeply grassroots performance and, and theater scene, you know, space. Right. And that's not an right. easy, uh, you know, because t- how many venues do we know that have ceased to exist because they couldn't, you know, Josie's Juice Bar in, in San Francisco is one. You oh, know? so sad. Yes. You know? Well, I, she's also, you know, I saw that part of her plan was she was able to expand and create this garden um, in the parking lot next door that became a bar and now they have a food cart and um, that's uh, extremely popular and it's a big space and people come independently of the theater to have this like excellent food and drink and hang out the beautiful, beautiful garden. It's a butterfly garden and she's working on a plan of succession. So when she steps back from it, um, hopefully it's going to continue. Um, but it feels like it's in, um, it, it's like in good shape and yeah, it, she's, she's really a survivor. And do you have any plans with uh, your husband, Hester uh, Newton, anthropologist, uh, for the for the summer, or are you guys getting back to already gearing back to get back to your jobs at school? I'm getting, you know, we we had a we had a fabulous summer. Um, we went to um, New York for a family reunion and saw a lot of people in New York City, and then we had a few days at um, Cherry Grove Fire Island. She wrote a book about it. Um, so that was really great. Um, uh, and, um, you know, tonight we're going to go over to, um, for the, the, um, the bris of a new Corgi adopted by a family, uh, by a lesbian family. So, um, I guess it's a girl, so it's not going to be a bris, but maybe a brisket. Um, <laughs> hey, back so, well, they're not cutting anything off, are they? And, um, maybe a piece of brisket. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, have yeah. fun at that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'll have that kind of fun. Mm. Um, but, um, yeah, that's, that's what we're, we're, we're up to. Well, give them a big hug and a kiss from us and to your adorable dog. Dog's okay. Up. I will. Dogs. Dogs, plural. Oh, there's two. Right. There's three, right? Three. There's three. Oh, okay. I just thought it was one noisy dog. Mm-hmm. I just I just saw a TikTok <laughs> today that say they have no idea where the word dog came from. It just popped up in the 1200s and people just started using it. It's God backwards. Because before they used to use hound. And then all of a sudden, yeah. dog. Do- anybody who lives with a dog, it's God backwards. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I, I, I identify as a dog as well as a human. Okay, pickles. Uh-huh. <laughs> pickles. Pickles. <laughs> you know. When is Pickles going to be on the show? I know. Um, well, how old is Pickles now? Got to be in the 20s. Wow. We should, <laughs> yeah, that's oh, a- definitely. <laughs> They'll probably deny it. They started denying it that they were ever Pickles just a few days after. I can't tell you how many kids I've known that, you know, I'm a dog. Rawr, rawr, rawr. And you're like, oh, you know, and you put a bowl of water on the floor and they start lapping it up. And, you know, and as adults, they get to pup play. <laughs> there you go. 
It's a beautiful chain of life. Are you are you have you explored uh, some equestrian, you know, shenanigans? Um, just vicariously. <laughs> you just... don't give uh, Esther a, a riding crop and tell her to, you know, punish you if you get uh... out of hand. You know, I'm the punisher oh. in the household, and it's it's done through the administration of puns. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, have fun with Esther and your lovely dogs, and thank you so much for coming to join oh, us today. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed oh, it. Glad oh. to hear that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Holly. All right. Thank you. Big hugs. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Kisses. Bye. Bye. Holly Hughes lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where she teaches uh, performance art, art and design at the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor. (laughs) And of course, follow her on social media. Holly Hughes, the performance artist, not the... Lesbian poet. There's like, like we searched for Holly Hughes in a lot preparing, of Holly, yes. And there's like ten different women. A lot of artists, yeah, painters, painters writers, writers, actors, little girls stuff. missing from the seventies. Like, really? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. And you know, Holly Hughes really is the 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 weird Barbie that <laughs> Kate McKinnon. You know, it, it's just uh, she's she's always had this fascinating um, countercultural view to to the world and. You know, and, and and inspired and shaped the lives of so many artists and been part of so many amazing scenes. So mm-hmm. I'm really happy to be talking about Barbie with, with you know, Kali, because it just felt like a perfect Well, fit, you know, you and know? it's great because, you know, here she is, a feminist artist, and we get mm-hmm. to talk about this feminist movie uh, about feminism. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And feminism is, you know, gender. It's equality. It's, it's people fighting to everyone fearlessly be themselves and have... Full access. Mm. We're all not going to be the same. We're different people, but we all have ways to contribute and allowing people to contribute in those unique, special ways is what makes the world a better place. And, you know, it's, it's this idea of like fearing somebody participating in your community or your culture is, is to me, it's like harmful to you and to them. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's like they're greedy yeah. about life, you know, let yeah. people share and enjoy the things that they enjoy. Yeah. I was like, I was reflecting on like, you know, why Republicans are so afraid of immigrants. And I'm just like, and I, and, and they're all like, they're always the conversation is about what they're going to do when they get to the border or whatever. But I'm like, there's never a conversation once they've crossed the border. And it, I'm like, you know, if you ever run into somebody who's like, those are immigrants, I ask them, I said, what exactly is you're fearing they're going to do? Right. They never have an answer. They're just like, well, they're going to steal our jobs. It's like the job that you want to take, the job that you have, you Mm -hmm. know, as a truck driver, pretty unlikely, you know, or it's like there's this, it's this. They're um, worrying about things down the road that there are, that are just, it's vague. It's the case of the what ifs. Well, it's like they say fear is the mind killer. And so it just, if you get somebody afraid of something, all logic goes out the window. What was your favorite part of the Barbie movie, Mark? Like that, that really stuck out to you. It, when we went to see it, I really so did jokes. love the beginning of it because the, the beginning. beginning of it really just set that tone because you have all these little girls playing with these dolls. And I remembered, you know, my friend had a, a, a child and I was going to get her American doll. Right. And my f- other friend, you mean American one, girl place, American girl place. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sh- uh, uh, and so um, 
my friend's like, how old's your kid? I was, she's like, oh, she's like three years old. She's like, oh, then you have to get her a baby doll. Don't get her like an adult doll. Cause like little kids up to like four or five, they love baby dolls. But after that, then they wanted like a regular doll, an adult doll. But they're all like little kids are obsessed with babies. It's and weird so I that, did. Yeah. she absolutely loved that doll. The mother was almost like, I'm not going to take it out of the package. I'm like, uh, the doll's to be played with. And I'm like, you're not going to make that much money off of this doll if you keep it in the package. I know. And our friend John, uh, if you guys want to hear about uh, one of the most famous Barbie doll collectors, mm -hmm. um, he's on our website, feastoffun.com. You can search for Barbie mm -hmm. and listen to our interview with John, who collected over a thousand Barbie dolls and talk about the weird and esoteric and strange and wonderful world of those dolls that it shaped all our lives. What iconic dolls, right? Yeah. And what was the, 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 the funniest one was the uh, Diane Carroll doll. So you can tell an original Diane Carroll Barbie doll because the hair, which was black originally, uh, faded over time to become this incredible fuchsia color. Yeah, like a bright orange yeah, red. But yeah, this bright, you know, fuchsia pinkish hot pink yeah. color, which is really <laughs> unusual. So if you have a Diane Carroll that has black hair, it might not be the original. It's not an authentic one. No. And it's pre-Dynasty. Uh, it's uh, Julia. Yes, this is Nurse Julia one, I think, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Somewhere along those lines. Yeah, there were so many crazy Barbie dolls. You know, Earring Ken Magic, I'll say, Earring Magic Barbie, mm -hmm. that's set on the outside of the box, but clearly it's a Ken doll, uh, came, you know, made, made shockwaves when, you know, they released it because it had a, a circle that unmistakably was a cock ring. Or interpreted as a cock ring. Right. And in the movie. And some people might not notice that, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, we certainly. The gays would notice it. For we sure. went all bonkers and was, you know, the Barbie doll we bought and we started using it in shows and stuff like that. Um, in the movie, the, the actor who plays the Earring Magic Ken doll isn't wearing the necklace. Around, yes. He's not wearing the cock ring around his neck. <laughs> so leads to the question, where is it? Uh, well, they're not going to show it in his pants. Do you think that was intentional? That they it definitely like, was intentional, yes. Oh, my God. Without it just a went doubt. way the, over the my head. The women who did this film, as you know, are brilliant. Yeah. Greta Gerwig, Margot mm -hmm. Robbie, Kate McKinnon, and so many other, you know, Ryan Gosling. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, do you think it's going to win an Oscar? Or get nominated for oh, something? Oh, it'll get nominated for some things for sure. Yeah. Definitely, probably, I'm sure, for set design. I think it's going to get an Oscar for Best Picture. Maybe Best Actress. Not, best it may not win it, but it's definitely going to get the nomination because it's 10. I mean, it's a juggernaut as far yeah. as money goes, too. And so, you know, money-making films are often get, get rewarded. But, you know, also, like, big commercially popular films also get punished in award ceremonies. Mm. But uh, as, if not an Oscar, definitely a Golden Globe. So if you haven't seen the Barbie movie... Check it out and bring somebody who played with the dolls as a kid if you ha didn't, because they can explain to you all the references. Because there are like a lot of things you just like right right over your head. And even for someone like me, like the earring magic Ken doll joke, I totally didn't get it until you explained it to me. I'm sure. I, I'm sure that uh, you know, you seeing it again, you're going to see other things that you haven't really seen before. So it rewards sure. repeated views. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure. Remember, folks, Feast of Fun is made possible because of fierce, fabulous people just like you. Listen to thousands, thousands upon thousands, over 3,000 episodes of conversations with iconic queer LGBTQ allies and artists and legends and 
everything from A to Z, uh, talking about every topic in the world. That's why it's Feast of Fun. It's a feast with of With a focus everything. on having fun yeah. and, and, and celebrating life and joy. And you can do so by, you know, by going to feastoffun.com slash plus, where you access the thousands of podcasts. Or if you want to follow us on Patreon and listen to our podcast without any ads, uh, it's pretty inexpensive. Just go to patreon.com slash feastoffun and sign up there. And thank you so much for your support. It really means a lot to us and it makes the show possible. So from the bottom of our hearts, our plastic filled bodies. <laughs> thank you very much. Bye everyone. Bye bye. <laughs>